Welcome to the Isle of Horror Rental, delivering you all of your devilish delights one tape at a time. I'm Jake Dalby, along with my co-founder, co-host, Parker Reed. Parker, how are you doing this evening? Jake, I'm doing great. We are back on this journey. Uh, hopefully we don't take a, a wrong turn along the way and hit a bad movie. You know, <laughs> I think in general, we always take a wrong turn into a bad movie. It just kind of ends up that way. But you're right. Hopefully this week we don't. Uh, you know, coming at you live once again from the store, uh, we've been a little bit slow in terms of customers, uh, you know, not going to lie, uh, you know, but we do predict that once the uh winter months fully turn into the spring uh you know the horror fans will come out of their homes uh start to come back to the store and we'll get a little bit more uh foot traffic but you know for now uh because the store has been not so busy uh, we've had some time to watch some uh some new flicks as well as well as some of our you know classics that we enjoy coming back to uh parker what have you been uh, checking out recently jake a couple shutter originals uh the last and shutter exclusives uh, over the past few weeks, I watched The Dark and the Wicked was one of my more anticipated movies, uh, just because at the end of 2020, I saw this appear on a bunch of best of lists. Uh, I was pretty I was pretty let down by it. It was just another kind of plotting, slow moving, allegory filled movie about grief and loss. But it's just I, I don't understand why directors don't realize that they can make a movie about those themes and not make it not make it dead boring. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like the, you know, at this point, it's almost kind of a subgenre of basically slow burn horror, um, where the scares are all an allegory for uh, a broader social issue or, you know, mental health or something like that. And I do agree with you that uh, when done correctly, it's pretty cool, because I think that's what good horror does is it takes fears and kind of universal truths that we all have and, you know, sort of uses uh, demons or scary things to be a metaphor for that. But yeah, I mean, Ultimately, if your movie's not scary and it's not effective, uh, you know, in terms of thrills or atmosphere, it's not a good horror movie. If it's not a good horror movie, then I'm not watching. Right. I also got the uh, Scream Factory Fly box set uh, secondhand uh, nice. at, a, at a store nearby. Uh, build quality is very high, and it's just a great pickup because I'm sure it retailed at like – i don't know 80 dollars or something i got mm -hmm. it for about half of that i'm pretty satisfied with it i've watched the first two and um they're just, you know i just love that 50s age stuff mm -hmm. do screen factory always puts out really good sets very great sets jake what have you been watching um you know not a ton recently but i did go back and and, and revisit two classics uh halloweenies put out their newest uh series uh, which is scream so i went and revisited that uh, i mean what can i say about scream that hasn't been said already it's amazing it's a perfect horror movie really um and it had been a while since i've seen it so it was kind of fun to go back and rewatch that and then um me and my girlfriend watched uh just the other night we watched uh nightmare on elm street 2 uh, freddy's revenge which is one of my favorite nightmare on elm streets uh you know it, it always goes back and forth between that um and uh draw no not dream masters dream warriors for the number two slot uh but i do love that movie quite a bit um and again it had been you know probably six months or so since i've seen i feel like i watch this movie so often but uh <laughs> it, it, it was it was great you know i loved watching it it was, it was kind of fun to see her reaction to it because uh, she's you know she doesn't watch a ton of horror and doesn't generally enjoy them so you know it's just kind of fun to see her reactions to some of the some of the spooks and some of the effects and you know everything in between so uh it was a good watch you not seeing Freddy's Revenge for 48 hours. <laughs> Forehead vein pulsing. Dude, I swear to God, I watch those like almost every six months. It's on, yeah, like, I, it, it, it really is that horror series is on rotation for me. Yeah, I just uh, finished a majority watch through. I, or actually most of it, I watched up to Freddy's Dead and I watched the remake last year. Um, but I was actually really upset because I was watching them because I wanted to rewatch the Never Sleep Again documentary, but Shudder took it off of their service. Wait, do they really? Yeah. I did not know that. Why would I they? Would, why? <laughs> I, right. I don't know if it was Shudder or um, New Line or whoever owns that. Doc mm -hmm. I don't know. Probably not New Line, that documentary. But it, it's uh, so weird because, I mean, it can't be that much to, you know, get the licensing rights to Never Sleep Again. Right. And I was like, I could throw down the uh, and I would be definitely willing to throw down the four or five dollars to watch it again. But 
what is what is it it's like about five hours i'm like i would yeah. have to commit five hours in, oh, within 48 hours and with the crystal lake memories i watched that over a couple weeks since it's that was like six and a half to seven hours so um i was a little bummed out that sh- uh, it left shutter well it's kind of weird because now with so many streaming services i mean just you know this week or last week or whenever it was paramount plus just released and now they have a bunch of exclusive horror movies horror series you know their back catalog has horror titles on it so it's like now because there's so many series you know all these different licensing rights are being pulled in between and so it's kind of hard to tell what is on what service because like not that long ago last year uh a nightmare on elm street was on shutter for like a month and then now like half of them are on hbo max and i'm not sure where the other half is and like HBO Max has some of the Saw series, I think, and not all of it. So, you know, again, I think it's why we love physical media so much because you buy it once and then you don't have to, uh, you know, think about it ever again. Just another right. reason to come into the store and, and rent some shit. Right. Especially uh, with this wrong turn franchise, Jake. Yeah. You know, I, I think a lot of series like that that aren't exactly well loved, it's kind of hard to find them on streaming services to be weirdly has a bunch of crappy horror franchises like for a while we were uh coining tubi as the full moon network and then full moon came out with their own network so now they're competing against each other which is uh, pretty hilarious but yeah always always fans of physical media here uh, at isle of horror uh speaking of physical media it looks like we have a return for this week two returns in hand hey y'all thank you let's get that back in and you know just as i suspected the same person they came back and got wrong turn three and four. Parker, <laughs> wrong turn two must have had that big of an impact on them. Left for dead? Left for dead. Yes, they must have saw the baby bottle in the <laughs> mini freak's mouth and said, I have to know what happens in part three. I can't just leave it at that. Yeah, I gotta <laughs> be real. I am dying to see how they resolve that as well. <laughs> I'm sure that they'll take it into account and have a really complex storyline that'll weave throughout all of the sequels going mm-hmm. forward. Uh, I mean, there's not a doubt in my mind that that all those story threads will be uh, completed. But Parker, I know you're dying to see it. Uh, I'm dying to see it. It's been a very long time since I've seen three. And to be honest, I can't even remember if I've seen four. It's been so long ago. Uh, So what do you say we pop over the TVs and uh, give it a watch? Please. Again, this week we are talking Wrong Turn 3 and Wrong Turn 4, Left 4 Dead, as well as Bloodlines, starting off with Wrong Turn 3. Um, Bloody Beginnings. Oh, what did I say? One. Bloodlines, the fifth one. Oh, that's the fifth one. <laughs> Something with blood. Bloody Beginnings. Yes, the origin story, if you will. We'll get into that. Super duper important. Um, Parker, starting off here, I, you know... I, before we get into Wrong Turn 3, um, I just have to say, Wrong Turn 3 feels like a massive departure from Wrong Turn 2, just right off the bat. Um, absolutely. I, the big thing I have to say about Wrong Turn 3, Left for Dead, uh, both to its benefit and its uh, detractor, I guess, uh, is what I'd say, is that the main storyline has does not intersect very well with uh, Three Finger and how Wrong Turn 2 left off. It's basically an independent story that Three Fingers also happens to be adjacent to. Yeah, so in Wrong Turn 3, we essentially have a fugitive who is being transferred to, I think, a different prison in West Virginia. Uh, that group of convicts, along with the corrections officers that are holding them within the bus, uh they don't make a wrong turn uh which is ironic uh they get sort of run off the road and uh them along with the survivor of another previous attack um by the freaks kind of have to work together 
to uh, survive the night, if you will. Um, but what you're saying about basically having no connection, you're correct. There really isn't any connection. The only real connection we have is it is somewhat implied that the kid from so at the end of wrong turn to where three fingers has that little it's not a baby bottle it's or it is a baby bottle but it's also he puts a finger in the little freak's mouth mm-hmm. um i forget exactly how it is but it's implied that basically that is now a three um a grown three fingers son because i think one of the characters marks that the because in this one it's only three fingers and another freak um there's only two of them and that additional freak is and three fingers only has three toes and one of the characters makes a point of saying they only have three toes so mm-hmm. i can't tell if that is a very lazy attempt of being like oh well it's three fingers bloodline so they have three toes now instead of three fingers so they're related <laughs> right. so like and at one point the kid spoiler alert dies um so like it's three fingers out to the re- revenge the death of his own kin i guess like you know in a weird way they're kind of connected but yeah as you mentioned they're they really have nothing to do with each other and, and this one especially in the context of all the other movies after this feels like its own um separate beast yeah, I think Wrong Turn 3 is actually a departure. Uh, and I, actually, I think it's kind of a trendsetter as opposed to the first one, which at this point feels like uh, feels like a drama borderline uh, comparatively to what we're talking about today. Wrong Turn 2 really feels like its own uh, side story almost. 3 is where we really start seeing shit like uh, the terrible digital effects uh we see this is where three fingers starts just laughing maniacally for uh no reason other to be in quotes creepy uh and also this is where they kind of take the cannibal like angle like obnoxiously far like the instant anyone's on the ground he just starts eating eyeballs and i'm (laughs) it's just this starts to get over the top which really contrasts with the regular i guess the human storyline or you know the jail storyline that's going on and jake i don't know if this is ridiculous to say but i think at to start i'll clarify by saying to start it actually starts with the best human storyline so far uh it's don't get me wrong it's pretty generic it's like b-tier prison break uh from netflix like it's really generic all the characters are generic but i thought that the protagonists at the beginning of this were generically likable uh and i thought they set up a couple different points like having the undercover cop uh them uh bringing the guy to the location a week early which throws off that his like gang's plan Uh, i thought these were story beats once again not like in a great sense but in a decent direct-to-video sense Mm -hmm. i thought they set it up pretty decently yeah it's interesting because despite the movie being really short i mean it's i think it's right around 90 minutes if not just a little bit more than that uh it like the first half feels pretty well paced but the second half just feels like it goes on forever and i think it's because we get into a loop of as i mentioned the prisoners arguing three fingers shows up uh they fight for a little bit he goes away and then we get kind of a weird segue that doesn't really lead anywhere in the first case it's the money um, which they find and sort of argue about how they're going to get around. And there's a lot of really dumb conversations about like, <laughs> no, you have to carry your own weight or how are we going to get the money around? And like, there's just wait, there's a lot of time wasted talking about that. Um, and that eventually, you know, ends up just getting burned in the end. It really doesn't matter. And then there's a whole other, uh, you know, crossroad where the girl, the, the surviving girl that you mentioned shows up and now the prisoners are, wanting to take advantage of her and and that again leads nowhere and she sort of just becomes a weird like you mentioned love interest of the protagonist for really no reason and i i should mention that the protagonist is not great i i think he's much better than what we got in say the first wrong turn um but he's still super generic and so you know by the time the film starts to wrap up near the third act um you know he really starts to kind of put all of the film on his shoulders and i i found myself just getting really really bored um it it, you know as much as the prisoners are kind of annoying they're easily the most interesting people in the movie right that's a great point when he's a part of a collection of people and he's bouncing off his uh 
when he's bouncing off his other generically friendly protagonist, he's fine. Uh, but you're right. When it is, when it comes down to the wire and we're in a serious rescue mission scene and he's basically the only one, like you said, to put it on his shoulders, it kind of, uh, it kind of falls through. Uh, yeah. And it's unfortunate. And it brings me to a point that I think is important for a movie like wrong turn three colon left for dead. Uh, the effects in this movie are terrible. They're so bad. And and it's weird because, you know, digital effects were definitely, uh, they definitely appeared in Wrong Turn 2. And they really weren't, you know, I mean, again, Wrong Turn, the first one was made, you know, quite a quite earlier uh, in like, what, you know, the early 2000s. But they're all over the place here. And it's really tough to ever find a practical effect. I mean, there's one later on where, I believe somebody gets shot in the back with like an arrow and you can see that like the digital um, sort of blood mark that's uh, around the arrow is essentially kind of levitating or floating above the back because, you know, it's just a digital effect that isn't properly made. And it really takes you out of it because they so often there's an effect and it just looks so bad and it looks so cheap that you can't even really appreciate when three fingers is on screen and that doesn't just apply to the gore effects it also applies to the freaks i mean i think three fingers looks terrible here i he really looks kind of dorky and stupid again i don't think the freak makeup has ever been amazing but in here like that's kind of where i go back and forth like the tone feeling all over the place because i think the film does take itself kind of seriously um you know as much as it can um but because three fingers looks so stupid, it, it almost feels like kind of clownish, especially near the end when he's in like a one V one with Chavez or <laughs> Floyd or whoever it is. And you know, we come to these movies mostly for the kills. And when you just have some really dog shit CGI, uh, you know, it really, it really takes you out of it. And, and I, I found myself just kind of getting bored because I couldn't even count on the kills to be, um, all that interesting because again and also just the creativity i mean most people die by getting an arrow in the back or something like that um there is one scene i forget who gets sliced in half uh, or in three quarters kind of like in wrong turn two and in like final destination um the difference being that the cgi is just it's just awful i, I hate to keep saying it but it, it was the main thing that i took away from the movie right i mean it's a big detractor it makes and especially just the tone of wrong turn three like it makes you oddly appreciate wrong turn two how lighthearted it was how silly it was because this one even though i do think that the human storyline is better it kind of ultimately detracts from the whole experience because uh even if they aren't aiming high with wrong turn two that's an easier thing to hit is like the fucking reality show parody than a prison transfer break movie that they kind of hit but then kind of give up on yeah it's disappointing and you know and then we also have a couple deaths that like you said arrows uh that floyd guy gets lit on fire which is whatever uh yeah it's It's, underwhelming it's weird because i think what two got so much praise for was the fact that it kind of went balls to the walls and it, it really took like the sequel mentality and said okay let's build upon this and make it crazy and it's weird that they kind of took a step down. I would think that that would be the direction that they would continue to go in. Um, like I said, there, I think there's a film here that wants to take itself seriously, but it also wants to be kind of stupid, um, like Wrong Turn 2. Um, and so we end up getting this weird middle ground that doesn't really, uh, it, it doesn't really do it for me in either way. You know, I think like I complain a little bit about Wrong Turn, the first one, and that it, it takes itself really seriously and therefore sometimes can feel a little generic and boring. Um, and then the same thing with two to where it's so crazy that sometimes you can be a little bit, uh, you know, it, it just feels like batshit. Um, but I would take either of those extremes versus what we get here because it just ultimately leads to a movie that feels, you know, I don't even know if it really feels like a wrong term movie. It just sort of feels like a generic slasher in the woods type of deal, but the actual killers aren't that well um, realized. Right. And so at the end, we do uh, end up saving uh, our damsel in distress and they kind of part ways with the undercover guy. 
uh or what does he say he's like yeah uh if i say that you died in this fight then no one will come looking for you so he leaves and it, mm-hmm. you know it's it's all you know appropriately generic how uh like how they kind of tie the ends together but then they kind of just crumble it with this bizarre like um coda where our main protagonist correction off correctional officer guy comes back for the money and then he gets shot in the back by the undercover guy and there's no like implied real like time or there i guess it doesn't say how long it's been so it could have been like the next day or the next month or something it's just a really bizarre way to end it it doesn't make much sense because it's so i mean it is almost like a smash a smash cut eh? you know it's the characters escape and then it just shows the door opening and there's you know uh, the main uh the main cop guy uh, i believe his name is nate and uh you know, he he found the money, which is weird because the whole movie he's kind of preaching about how like right, right. Yeah, he's like, oh, you know, uh, my whole life I've I've wanted to make money and stuff, but now you know I see basically how it's you know it changes people. And there's like this weird, stupid, really simple analogy for like greed and how money changes people, and it's 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 so on the nose, it's terrible. And then yeah, at the end, just out of nowhere, uh, he's like, I guess psych. Uh, you know, I wanted the money all along, but then somehow. Um, the undercover cop knows that he's uh, Brandon knows that he's going to do that kills him. And then we have another freak who ends up killing him. So it's like literally just back to back. It's as if they all kind of stood in a line and didn't know the other one was there and just killed each other as they approached the truck. It, it really doesn't make a lot of sense. And the other thing I've seen in a lot of comment boards online is that a lot of people, I don't know. Did you think that that would imply to be three fingers at the end? Or would that have been a completely different freak? Because we did see three fingers get basically burned to a crisp and stabbed in the face um, in the at the end of the movie. Um, I don't know. I kind of took it to be three finger just because I doubt they give a shit. And there are sequels past this one. Uh, not that the continuity is like great or whatever. Yeah, that ending, it really it's borderline slapstick, like what they're going for there. It is it, the whole basically ending act movie just feels so all over the place because we get what amounts to a damsel in distress, but it happens within the last like 15 minutes of the movie. And I remember when that happened, I was like, wait, how much time do we have left? We don't have time for this. And sure enough, you know, that gets resolved in just a couple of minutes. We have multiple fights with three fingers where he comes back to life multiple times. We have a one V one. And then we have this weird coda that, doesn't have any real right to be there. I I assume that was set up as a way to justify further sequels, just to say, oh, you know, one of the freaks is alive. But again, it kind of slaps the whole movie in the face because again, again, not that they care that much about the characters, but we spend the whole movie building up this, you know, corrections officer is this morally correct guy who, you know, doesn't care about the money and just wants to save people. And then at the end, right. he, he's just a greedy bastard like the rest of them. So, uh, you know, I can't say that I really enjoyed this one much at all. Um, I mean, it's definitely in terms of if we're just looking at the first three before we get into four, um, it's definitely my least favorite out of all of them. And I found myself routinely checking my watch, which I normally don't do in 90-minute movies, but I was just frankly kind of bored. And again, we've mentioned the kills are so terrible in this movie that I even the freaks which are normally the best part i could not care about i have to agree uh it, kind of an issue is that i've watched all of these within the last uh year so uh, my experience has also been uh putting up with them again but at the beginning of this one i was like yo i'm kind of ready to go to bat for this one but like we said all of the issues that kind of come up in the second half really kind of tank a lot of the good good ill goodwill that is uh established in the first half i would agree that it's the weakest of the first three at least well we can agree that this one is weak but if we want to transition to wrong turn for parker bloody I beginnings that, i think this movie's awesome i think this movie's Br- great Br- which is ironic because I think yeah. I think I think I gave it a two point five on Letterbox, and yeah. I did that mostly just to reflect the quality of the movie because it is a pretty shittily made movie. But I think this movie's great, and I think it fixes 
most of the issues that I had with Wrong Turn uh, 3. So, you know, to start off, Wrong Turn uh, 4, Bloody Beginnings, as the title implies, is an origin story. It tells us the the uh, the origins of, of Three Fingers, uh, One Eye, and Sawtooth. Again, I had no idea any of these freaks had names besides Three Fingers. Um, and the fact that this series now has an origin story is kind of hilarious because <laughs> I don't really think it needed it. But right. um, it kind of an interesting... An interesting sequel in that it tries to do it, it feels very different from three um i feel like in that two felt two and three felt very different and i think three and four feel very different which is ironic because both three four and five are all made by the same director um and i believe i believe the same writer as well um so in theory they should feel very similar but i don't think so to me this one feels much darker and much meaner but in a weird way, more self-aware than three. Um, I felt like this one was a lot more fun um, while also being a little bit more uh, intense. Uh, to, so to, I guess to start, um, Wrong Turn for Bloody Beginnings takes a bit of a different change in that it takes place in an asylum. Um, it does not take place in the woods. Uh, part of it does. Uh, but for the most part, we are stuck in a single location inside of an asylum um, where back in the, I believe it's like the 70s, um, we essentially get the story of how Three Fingers came to be. And <laughs> the funny part about this movie is that, you know, it builds itself as an origin story, but the origin story basically boils down to these random kids were found in West Virginia. I guess they killed some people and ate them, and now they're in an asylum. And I think one of the nurses literally just says, like, yeah, they were found as part of an incestuous family. So that's why they are the way, you know, they are. Right. <laughs> it, it, it makes zero sense. And and like, as far as an origin story, that's about all we get in terms of like, I guess, relating to the later sequels or giving us context as to what, you know, the freaks are about. Mm -hmm. Wrong Turn 4 is definitely like a big jump uh, in tone, almost as, uh, uh, almost as noticeable as Wrong Turn 1 to 2. Like, first of all, I think this seems like the first one that was filmed in HD. Yeah, you can uh, definitely tell. Yep. Yeah, and I, I was surprised it was the same director because they have such different tones. The third one, I wouldn't say was, like, uh, adventurous at all, but this one feels way more, like, classical in terms of, uh, you know, it's just people walking around a single building. Uh, avoiding danger uh and i gotta say it being set in the winter and being set indoors in an asylum is such a, a welcome change in this franchise which has you know been in woods this entire time and so i couldn't tell if i was enjoying uh like if i had watched this not after the first three wrong turn movies would i think it was worse uh maybe but just coming after those first three it's really enjoy. It's a, a really enjoyable change. It's also just way more uh, lighthearted. Like it's full of twenty uh, somethings again. Uh, you know, they're really horny. They're getting drunk uh, in this asylum. The plot is nonsense again. Uh, but yeah, I do like kind of the more classical slasher approach it takes. It does feel much more in line with what you would think. Like. I genuinely think if you just replace the freaks with like Jason, this could easily be, you know, a Friday sequel. Um, right. I, I do kind of want to talk about the beginning a little bit because I think it's kind of funny. Um, the film opens and, you know, it's like for the first 10 minutes or so we get uh, a look at the freaks when they're younger, when they're kids um, and they're in an asylum. Uh, and we basically have <laughs> a random woman who is like, Oh, I want to study them or I want to educate them. Like, <laughs> I really think that these people can be rehabilitated back into the normal world. Um, and the freaks escape. And we then get treated to a basically like a montage sequence of not only the freaks, but the other inmates at the asylum going on a rampage to Beethoven's fifth symphony. Um, and like shocking a girl to death and like gleefully, you know, pulling people's skin off it's kind of cool. And I remember seeing this and being like, wow, this actually feels like they're trying something a little bit differently. It's a really cool way to establish a different tone early. Because while I said 
it's darker. I think I mean that mostly in its gore, which we can talk about in a sec, but it feels a lot more fun. Uh, you know, they really put an emphasis on the freaks showing showing the freaks kind of being super gleeful over the fact that they're killing people. And what I liked is that because we get that angle and because I think the freaks are given a lot more screen time than they are in some of the other sequels, um, they are more menacing to me and they actually seem to pose a threat. That was one of the other big issues I had with three is that three fingers just doesn't feel that threatening. He only shows up every now and then. And when he does, he's kind of dorky and it, you know, again, like he one V ones a dude, like it, it's really <laughs> stupid. Um, but in here, they genuinely feel really kind of creepy. And, and the way that, you know, they really, really go into the cannibalism aspect here. I mean, there is a prolonged sequence where one of the characters actually says it, but they basically make human fondue out of a guy's skin into boiling oil. Uh, you know, not sure where I got all the oil from. But um, it, anyway, I'm kind of rambling, but I do think that opening sequence is, is really cool. Yeah, I also, I think that's, probably the highlight of the movie uh you know it's ridiculous some of it reminds me of the capital riots like just people being fucking <laughs> not in terms of like not you know, yeah. thematically but it's just people running around like there's a dude with a crutch just shooting it at like <laughs> at nothing they're like some of the homies are just chilling causing chaos not even hurting anyone like just running down the hallway like waving stuff in the air uh, but yeah, I think like, even if it's kind of, uh, cheesy, like setting it to the classical music is kind of effective and you can tell with that opening that they were like, Hey, have y'all seen saw? Like, because this one is noticeably like a little bit more tortury, uh, than the last three, like, um, they pull that doctor apart from the oh, limbs yeah. with barbed wire. Really gross effect. Yeah. And, but that's enough that, and I'm. On, at this point, I'm not like even criticizing it for like necessarily, but we just cut to that dude in the room and it's like, how did they like get him rigged into that? They had to like <laughs> have him stand there and they had to have found the barbed wire, attach it to all these things and then wrap it around his limbs all while he's just like standing there ready to go. It's bizarre. I also want to know how many employees are actually at the asylum because you would right. think it'd be like three because they kill basically two guys and then all of a sudden the whole place is taken over. It, it, right, it, right. It's, it's pretty nonsensical, but uh, you know, we get the opening sequence uh, and then it, it flashes forward to modern day. We get a group of uh, college students again. I guess they needed to get that nudity in there somehow uh, a really, you know, prolonged sequence of them having sex. Uh, and then they're like, Hey, we're going to go on a snowmobile trip. Cause why not? And we get probably one of the best lines in the entire series as they uh, go out on the snowmobiling trip. Uh, Parker, do you remember what they say? Uh, I believe they say he's making a wrong turn. I know it. Yes, they. that's a, like, the <laughs> first time someone says they're making a wrong turn and they legitimately make a wrong turn. So, you know, kudos to the film for sticking to its title. Um, it, it also... Also, sorry, before we get past this, this dude, Daniel, uh, just like asking honest questions like, hey, is it OK if we park our car here for a week or however long they're going to be gone? Then it doesn't matter. And then he tries to put a helmet on and they're like, you fucking loser with the helmet. And then they then they drive away. And then like it's actually kind of a funny gag uh where like the snow falls off the sign where it says towway zone and it's like huh i guess daniel was actually thinking of something <laughs> just the thought of them all dying and then there's like a sh like an after credit scene of their cars being towed <laughs> <laughs> that would be oh dude, that'd be so funny behind the credits oh come on dude they missed an opportunity uh but anyway so they go off on the snowmobiles somehow they managed to make a wrong turn and like make their way to this asylum again it's not really explained they just kind of show up there there's actually a really terrible um kind of jump cut of them during the day and then it's just nighttime all of a sudden uh it's right. like you know six hours have passed um, but anyway they show up at the asylum go inside and like any group of horny 20 year olds they're like hey let's wreck the place let's go drink and and watch video of medical practices and be weird and and destructive um, and little do they know, though, that the freaks are still there. And one by one, they get hunted down within um, the asylum. And, you know, I think you put it 
pretty apt when you said that this feels like probably the most generic slasher movie out of any of them because it feels less like wrong turn just because they're not in the woods um, and feels much similar to, uh, you know, like a My Bloody Valentine or uh, Friday the 13th or or even like, to be honest, like Halloween, uh, you know, in that uh, kind of like Halloween part two. Um, but to be honest with you, I kind of enjoyed that a little bit more. Um, I think it's the fact that the freaks are kind of scary this time and and they make up a lot of, you know, interesting scenarios of, you know, the group being split up and like uh, a couple of them being killed overnight and now they don't know where they're at. Um, and again, I think it's the fact of the gore, which is, I think, something we can hit on. The gore is so much better here. I, I mean, it is night and day in the fact that they use practical effects quite a bit and there are some genuinely really gross scenes um like i mentioned the human fondue scene where one of our characters is literally getting peeled apart bit by bit is actually pretty nasty right uh like you said i like the asylum is just a classically creepy setting even if it is a little bit generic um similar to wrong turn three this first half is my favorite half of this thing uh the kids are just being idiots and i was shocked when uh when i like kind of did a time stamp at 45 minutes in and i was like oh is it has it only been 45 minutes i still think this movie drags a little bit uh it does it, a little bit in the middle it, it, there's a bunch of ridiculous stuff i i don't really appreciate that so obviously just from the start what do we have like eight or nine people you can tell yep. the body count's going to be a bit bigger uh a lot of people are paired up with people i don't really appreciate that the only two minority women are basically only there to be naked and to make out with each other yeah that's literally the first thing that we learn about them uh and that's not only the first thing we learn about them that's basically the only aspect of their uh you know character is that they are lesbians and that's about it <laughs> right and it would be one thing if they if it happened one time but it's like three or four separate scenes where they're just completely naked and going at out. it and, like in front of an open doorway too it's not like one kind of and we get of course the scene where you know i think it's kyle has to sit there and be like oh my god it's so fucking hot dude and, <laughs> and it happens like four times and it's like you're best friends with these people. Like, is that not right. weird? Right. Uh, but like you said, I think the turning point really is they go to that like gymnasium or theater or whatever, and they watch the clip of one of them being like uh, electro shock therapy, and that's actually a pretty decent sequence. Um, and that's kind of the turning point uh, of the movie. They kind of uh, circle back there, and then. I only know her name is Claire because they yell it about 50 times. She gets like <laughs> she gets like choked on a barbed wire noose, which I guess barbed wire is their thing now. Yeah, they use uh, a lot of it. Yeah, we didn't mention it in three, but they have that great like barbed wire net that they capture that guy in. Oh, yep. That's really intense. Uh, but yeah, I just think the second half, we kind of get into that same territory where they're running around. Uh, <laughs> a bunch of people just yelling like Daniel's getting like flayed alive yes we just we just have this weird sequence where they're like i don't want to go i want to go let's vote and he's screaming in the background and it's just 60 seconds of it them is being like, so okay. awkward yeah Be because like not only so like for, weirdly half of them are like i don't care we're just gonna leave him like they're best friends apparently and they're just like whatever leave him and then they end up voting and they have kyle go down and just i guess check what's happening and he goes down and comes back up and states the obvious of like, yeah, they're torturing him. And they're like, oh, damn, that's that sucks. OK, so now what do we do? Like, you couldn't have like figured that out before. And then they come up with the brilliant idea of just, I guess, bum rushing them with knives. Right. <laughs> it's just I'm sure Wrong Turn 4 was a great time to make because it's so hokey. It's just a lot of people dancing around and like you said when they do plan an attack it's still like you said it's just people holding knives above their heads and then running at people in makeup terrible makeup by the way it keeps getting worse it, it does keep getting worse it's it, three fingers especially is really at, bad right at least we have sawtooth and one eye now to like divvy up the terrible instead of it just all being one thing mm -hmm. well what did you think about the the actual gore effects because i think to me that's where the film started to, to 
get better or more enjoyable. I, I, you know, I think to one of the first kills, which is where Claire gets strung up by that noose. And I mean, my God, it's like three gallons of blood just get dropped on Kyle as yeah. he's just screaming <laughs> below her. And I was like, holy shit. Okay. This is what we're doing. And it's like a cool effect. And, and I mean, there's a little bit of CGI when her head eventually gets decapitated, but it's actually cool. And there's like the, there's the human fondue part. There's the uh, kill near the end where they take a, an ice auger and they shove it through a girl completely. And, you know, again, like the one thing I can say is it's weird that they went from so heavy on the digital effects in three to what feels much heavier on the practical effects in four. Right. It's definitely a step up. Jake, was this, <clears throat> was this ice drill or ice auger an homage to uh, Slumber Party Massacre? I thought of that actually. And I, it has to be because why the hell else would you use an ice auger? Like there's right. no reason for it. Also, right. the fact that the ice auger is never used effectively, there's a scene near the end where the girls are held up in a room and it's being held together by a literal plank of wood. And instead of using the <laughs> ice auger to go through the door, they just decide to have three fingers throw his body at it until it eventually breaks. Or I think it's actually uh, a one eye or sawtooth that breaks it. Um, right. But I, just a funny little uh, bit there. But yeah, I, you know, it is funny that the freaks kind of, despite it not being in the woods, a lot of the uh, asylum is still booby trapped. And they do have all these little contraptions, which are kind of fun to watch. Right. Like we said, it's still pretty hokey. When Claire dies, they run outside and they're like, let's get out of here, Scoob. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <they> but, <laughs> but then uh, we learn that the the trio kind of sabotaged the snowmobiles uh, so they can't use them. Uh, one of the girls goes off on her like uh, skis or cross country skis or whatever. Which I uh, forgot that she did that. Like the yeah, film it, randomly just kind of cuts back to her just like dying in the woods. And you're like, oh right. yeah, one of them went to go get help. Yeah. So then it's they it's just them kind of running around, people die. Uh and then they have they eventually like find this uh window into a huge snow pile that they dig themselves out of. Mm -hmm. Um and then one of them dies because they were the last one to go through. <laughs> yeah. And then they start running away and uh they get kind of hunted down uh on snowmobiles yeah this whole ending section is kind of weird because you can tell that they didn't really know how to end this or they just needed more time because um we didn't mention it but they do capture uh all three of the freaks in a prison cell in a really stupid scene where it, they literally run at them with knives like we said and the freaks i guess are scared now and just run away <laughs> and then right. like a very small flame scares them into going into a prison cell um and then Kyle, whose one job is just to watch them and make sure they don't get out, somehow falls asleep. And uh, they're able to pick the lock and get out. Um, but eventually, once they leave the asylum, that's to me where this film just, it, it completely loses itself because we get this weird sequence where the girls are just running and then <laughs> the freaks show up on snowmobiles, which is kind of hilarious to watch. Um, and eventually they circle around them and then they leave and then they come back and like there's this one scene that's i guess supposed to be sad but it's not it's where i forget which girl it is but i think it's sawtooth like ends up capturing her and then he puts her underneath the snowmobile where the wheel is and just sort of starts revving on the gas so that it kind of crunches her and there it just keeps like she's like crying and stuff and it goes back and he's like smiling and then there's like a jump cut to where the other girls are like, oh my God, where's, I forget her name. I think it's like Bridget or something like, oh my God, where's Bridget? And then it's just a jump cut to her being turned into like a snow cone in the ice. And right. It, 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 again, like the tone is kind of all over the place, but uh, we eventually, I don't know if you want to talk about the ending yet, but we eventually get to the point where the girls, I'm going to try to explain this. The girls, the one girl dies by being blended up by the snowmobile freaks leave and then they're on their own they're running away and it goes from being nighttime to daytime uh one of the lead girls and again i keep saying girls because they're really hard to remember their name because they're so generic um I, I know one of them is sarah um she's running i guess towards the highway and then out of nowhere one of the freaks shows up on a snowmobile 
gets close to her, and then Sarah comes out of a snow pile randomly, hits the freak over the face, and says, like, got him, as if they had a plan. And I just want to know, like, did they plan, like, three hours of head? Like, okay, you're going to go all the way up here and sit behind a snow drift and then hit the freak as it comes up. Like, yeah, I don't know. It, right. it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Right, and then we get, uh, like, an oddly dark ending where they take the snowmobile. Uh, the music is kind of revving up uh for the end uh a, a, a song where they say something like i took a wrong turn <laughs> yeah. which is which i'm into it just be hokey like be fucking uh hokey about it tongue-in-cheek uh but they're like riding off into the sunset uh theoretically and then one of them just goes oh no and then <laughs> there's just like i don't like there's just a like a wire fence there that they get decapitated on and it's like, I don't know if they were just so amped. They didn't see the clear like posts there, but. Mm -hmm. And there's also a weird effect where as their heads, I don't know if you know, this is like, as their heads are going up in the air, their eyes almost like look at each other of like this, like, uh oh, like almost like comedic <laughs> moment of like, oh, we fucked up. And it nah. is, it's so weird. It, it's kind of subtle. Um, But yeah, and then Three Fingers shows up and collects their bodies in the truck. That is in the truck, which that was the the thing I wrote down. I was like, the truck. That's like the biggest thing that connects the film to any is of the that, other sequels is that we see the classic wrong turn truck. Right. Is that the big payoff? I mean, it's about the only payoff we get. So, yeah, I, I think it is. Uh, you hey, Jake, know, I, I have expected an after credit scene, but we didn't get that. Jake, this might be naive of me to say, but does it like does it snow that much in West Virginia? You know, I never really thought about that. Um, it probably shouldn't. I guess I, West. I guess we aren't like that much more north or north than West Virginia. But yeah, I guess you would, never... you would think they're in like Colorado. Like that's kind of the vibe of the place. It's not really like, West Virginia, <laughs> right? Like there's a blizzard. That's there's also the not that many trees. It's right. not really a forest. It's kind of like an open. It looks like Iowa, to be completely honest with you. Like <laughs> for right. most of it. And I would assume that these are the same woods that we then kind of transition into in the for the first one. I think what I enjoyed about this was that it's a it had a little bit more of a clear direction than three. I appreciate that three tried to do something a little bit different with its plot and characters. Ultimately, though, that's kind of what muddies it. Whereas this one stripped it all down and said, okay, all we're gonna focus on is the freaks and them killing people in a single location. And to be honest, I really enjoyed that. I, I wish they would have done a little bit more with the origin story aspect because, again, outside of that first 10 minutes, the origin story has literally nothing to do with it. It, it. it doesn't really set up anything, and it's not like we learn anything about the freaks that we didn't already know. Um, the fact that they were able to double down the gore is improved so much. I mean, it, it is legitimately really good in this movie. Um, you know, I, I had a fun time, and, and I I hope... The later sequels are similar to this. I know, you know, one takes place, I think, at like a carnival and the other one takes place on like a resort. So if, if I basically get the exact same thing I got here, I will personally be pretty happy. Right. Four is um, definitely better than three. Uh, <laughs> ranking these movies is so weird and we'll get to that eventually. But one, two and four all hit for different reasons. Four, like you said, is more generic um i don't think they go all in on the prequel because uh it's clear that they're wearing clothes that people in 2011 would wear i think the only clue that it was a prequel is that their cell phones are a little shittier uh and yeah. obviously the backstory yeah four is uh more generically fun uh but I, th I think that's better because i think three tried to be like you said something different but it still ended up feeling generic uh, so we didn't get that full payoff of like the risk or whatever. Uh, four is more of a standard direct video slasher. And even though I think some of it's dumb and um, some of it's dumb and silly, I actually wouldn't uh, not recommend this to someone looking for this kind. If someone's really into slashers, I think they'll get something out of this one. Yeah, because I mean, you know, preparing for this. I, you know, I've read reviews and, and a lot of people just absolutely shit on the later sequels. And I will say like three is definitely not good, but I mean, four, yeah, it's, it's, it doesn't really do anything new. And I mean, in terms of horror, there's better options out there, but I would not say by any stretch of the imagination, this is terrible. There's definitely 
a lot of enjoyable aspects about it. And especially if you enjoy the series, like there is some hokey fun here. So I, I have yet to, for any of these movies, I've yet to be like, Oh my God, this is the worst thing ever. I mean, for three, it was mostly just that it bored me. Mm-hmm. Well, Parker, I'm really looking forward to five and six. We get the same director for five. They're pulling a, uh, a, a Harry Potter and giving all the, uh, the later sequels to the same guy. So, you know, <laughs> Do you think Declan O'Brien, who, who is more intrinsically linked to the franchise that they represent, Declan O'Brien or David Yates? <laughs> well, I would say that Declan O'Brien is the David Yates of the horror uh, world, you know? I mean, he was, he was able to take the franchise and make it his own, you know? so And he even did a Joyride sequel. He did. I saw that and I was like, holy shit. Two of our favorite shitty franchises. <laughs> I... I have to know. I, I've not seen that one, so I have to know what that's like. The fact that this man has touched both of those franchises practically makes him royalty at this Absolute point. Absolute king. The David Yates of wrong turn. I have to, you have to coin that. Well, once again, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Uh, we're really excited to talk about five and six, and we're, we're getting really close to watching the reboot. Parker, the more that I watch these movies, the more that I'm excited for this reboot. Um, so, you know, you'll be getting that very, very soon here. Um, but if you want to keep up with everything that we're doing, um, become a digital member of the, uh, the store. That's the best way that you can support us. You can follow us at Isle of Horror on Twitter and Instagram. We've been updating some of our Instagram content lately. So if you want to see some of our VHS horror collection, uh, definitely go check that out there. Um, otherwise, if you want to get a sneak peek at what we're watching, uh, whether it be for AOH or just in general, uh, you can follow us at Letterbox. I'm Jake Dalby. That's Jake, D-A-L-B-E-Y. Parker? I'm PK Reed, P-K-R-E-E-D. And until next time, be kind, rewind. We'd really appreciate it.